You're listening to Bexer in the Morning, hosted by Spotify. Hello, Americans. This is Jeb Bexer, broadcasting live from Satellite 2. Now, here is the news. Good morning, I am Jet Bexer, and welcome to the show. And in case you haven't figured it out already, I am, in reality, author Keith R. Reese, creator of the character Jet Bexer, that's J-E-T, Jet Bexer, who is forever trapped in 2095. So, I didn't really get to it in the pilot episode, as I rambled quite a bit, and if I haven't lost you already... Uh, I'll get straight to the point this morning. Uh, I'm not going to say what day it is because these episodes are heavily edited and uh, uploaded a few days later. But I'll get to some current events that's going on here in Austin and uh, talk about them. And I will take pauses when I can because I seem to be congested again. It's early morning again. So who's Jet Bexer? You know, I kind of... I have to teach myself to talk a little slower and uh, enunciate my words better. And some people were saying, it sounds like you're saying Jeff Bexer. Well, no, it's Jet. And like I said, Jet Bexer is a fictional character that I created in my best-selling sci-fi novel from 2021 called 2095. And, uh, that that story takes place on Satellite 2. And if anyone is familiar, excuse the noise here in uh, Studio 1A in beautiful central Austin, Texas. We've been getting a lot of sun lately, haven't we? <laughs> but anyway, anyone familiar with the electric light orchestra, and you notice the music that I have, the bumper music, that I need to make special uh, notice to, uh, if if I may, uh, a Welsh artist named Karen Mansfield gave me permission from her music sharing site called Music Score uh, to use her version of ELO's 1981 version, you know, 81 original song called Here Is The News. And that was from their Time album which was a concept album about time travel. And that album came out when I was 12 years old. And listening to it, even back in the 80s, I was so taken by it, I thought it would be cool to write a story about that music. And it didn't happen until 40 years later. So during the pandemic in 2020, I started writing 2095. And the original intent was to call it, to entitle it after the second song on that album called Yours Truly 2095. But it turns out some other soul did it already. And I was a little jealous, but it didn't surprise me that other people were inspired by Jeff Lynn's music to uh, take do a take on his his story and write a fictional story. So someone else did it. And call their book Yours Truly 2095. So I had to change. And so 2095 was born. 
And that book has become more or less my first bestseller. And then since then, I've had another bestseller in Eight Days on Maui, which is a murder mystery slash romance slash paranormal romance, historical fiction. And uh, oh, by the way, time travel also. It's one of the funnest stories I've ever written. It became a bestseller too. And just recently this summer, I had a third book hit the top 100 list on its particular genre on Amazon, which was a, a character, not a character, a category called French historical fiction. And guess what? That was my first book that I ever wrote, a novella called Legend Upon the Cane. I talked about it in the first episode. I forgot to start my timer and... It is now on, but I'm watching it here on the clock, too. So, Jet Bexer, uh, that's the genesis of this podcast name. Uh, in the story 2095, uh, the main character, Nick Devereaux, befriends a, an automaton, a robot, and his name is Pollux. And they're on Satellite 2, which is a big city that revolves around the Earth. If you haven't written, if you have, if you have not read the novel yet, uh, it's a city. Basically, basically expanded upon the International Space Station that we have today. And so I'm projecting 70 years into the future, 75 years at the time, and saying uh, that space station is going to be expanded upon and it's going to be a city. <laughs> And oh, by the way, there's going to be time travel. I mean, no, that's not true. But I try to be as realistic as possible with my novels and, and think, where are we going to be in 2095? And we very well might be in space revolving around. A few of us, you know, a lot more that's on the International Space Station. I don't know about a city, but we'll be up there. And I predict that we're going to be on the moon. Living in colonies, maybe not in the way I describe in the book, but I think we're going to be there. There's going to be people living on the moon. I won't be around to see it, but we'll see. My daughter, hopefully she'll be there. You know, she'll be in her 90s <laughs> when we get to that point, you know, in mankind. And I'm also predicting we're going to have a small contingent of people on a moon called Phobos of Mars. You know, I may be wrong you know, on that, then maybe we'll be on the actual surface of Mars. I don't know. But the moon, yeah, I I'm, but would put money on that one. Anyway, Jet Bexer is a fictional character on Satellite 2, which is mentioned in the lyrics of Jeff Lynne's music in the Time album. And he is the face of society. He is the newsie. He is the flamboyant character, kind of modeled after the two guys that were on the TV station in the Hunger Games. <laughs> that was kind of my, I get inspiration from everywhere, but it wasn't uh, copying them. It was just the way they look. <laughs> and I kind of pictured Jet Bexer looking like them, but it's, he's not hosting a show where it's a death sport. Uh, he's just the news. He is the guy who broadcasts the news, even though it's propaganda. Uh, you know, and what the society wants people to know on Satellite 2 and Satellite 1, as well as the moon and Phobos. But anybody on the Earth, they have no idea 
who Jet Vexer is because they're basically banned from society. But he is the face of the satellite news in 2095. And so that's where I get it. Pollux tells Nick Devereaux uh, when he get, first gets to the future, uh, he said, do you have a TV? I mean, this room's pretty b bland. Let's do something. I mean, we're just in this room. And so this TV pops up and Pollux plops down on the table and says, oh, I never miss Bexer in the morning. And that's where I got the name of the podcast. And the podcast went through many names, <laughs> and that's where it landed. I thought that's probably the most clever uh, name I can come up with on a podcast. And I will pause just for a moment to take a short water break. We'll be right back <laughs> after these words. So that's where Jet Bexer comes from and why this podcast is called Bexer in the Morning. And it is early morning again. I'm a little crazy for getting up this early, but it's just, I just keep waking up. So here I am. And they say, why do you want to do a podcast? Well, I'm, like I said in the first episode, I'm talking all the time. Sometimes I'm acting, acting out scenes for my book. And since I'm talking all the time, you might as well put a microphone in front of me. And uh, that leads me to the next subject. I need to give a shout out to the brilliant people at Blue Microphones. I have a Blue Yeti sitting in front of me. And it's because of this brilliant little Blue Yeti that my voice doesn't sound <clears throat> getting congested again. But I can cut that out with the Blue Yeti. It's remarkable what this thing can do. And that was part of the reason I uh, hesitated on doing a podcast is a year ago when I seriously started thinking of doing this, I thought, who wants to listen to my voice on a podcast? And with a regular microphone, say from your smartphone or, you know, those old cheapos that you can get at the store, my voice sounds awful. I wouldn't want to listen to it myself. I'd bore myself to tears. But this Blue Yeti, coupled with this ingenious software that I'm using, my entire, stu my entire studio consists of this Blue Yeti microphone and a nifty, ingenious piece of software called Audacity. And it's open source. That means that it's free to the public. And uh, it's basically a studio on your laptop. And that's what I'm using for narration and this podcast. And some people are saying, why do you keep using the word narration? So let me answer that one real quick. Some of, may, some of you may have figured out that I have entered the world of Audible. And uh, some cool character named Nick Chapman is now narrating my books. In fact, Legend Upon the Cane is about 10 business days away from becoming the first audio availability of my books uh, on Amazon, narrated by Nick Chapman. And so I'm excited about that. He did a test of my children's book, This Enchanted Old Ruin, just as a test, and it worked. He passed. He, he, got, he got the job. And, uh, it, yeah, it, a children's book doesn't make sense 
as an audible because you still you have you have your kid sitting on your lap. You still want to have the paperback in your hand, or at the very least, a, a laptop showing them the ebook. And if if you really don't want to read, you're and do that and listen to Audible, but it is there, and I don't expect anyone to buy it. But it was a test. But Legend Upon the Cane was not a test. That was live, and uh, once it's approved by ACX, we're jumping in feet first to uh, get going with audio versions of my books. But what this software that I'm using, Audacity. Uh, I love this thing, and the fact that it's open source is unbelievable. But what does, and I saw it messing with my computer right now, trying to get back to my notes. I do have story notes for my for my show. So Audacity, I, 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 I know what Audacity means, but let's look up to see what it says in the official dictionary. And it's very simple. It says, a willingness to take bold risks. And that's what I'm doing here. Sorry about the noise again. I'm, I'm in my beautiful studio, uh, which basically consists as my staircase closet. And I mean that literally. I'm sitting next to my golf clubs, a stack of boxes with my books in them, and a whole bunch of other crap. I'm here. This is my soundproof studio. My daughter thought it was pretty hilarious. She took some pictures of me yesterday <laughs> sitting here with my blue Yeti. But yes, I, I I don't, you know, this is the second episode of this podcast and the dream is to get some sponsorships one of these days and I if if I do get one at all, it would be really cool if it was the Blue Corporation, which is now owned by Logitech as of 2018 that I found out yesterday, Logitech also makes the mouse that's sitting in front of me. I've been using their mice and keyboards and other products since I've been in IT. That's 31 years now, which will be 31 years exactly in September. So yeah, big shout out to Blue Corporation and Logitech for this really cool microphone, you know, the EIP microphone, the excellence in podcasting. It's not the golden microphone that Rush Limbaugh used to use for his EIB network, but I love this Blue Yeti, absolutely. It makes my voice sound awesome, and that's what my daughter said yesterday. She said, Dad, your voice sounds cool. And <laughs> I, th I looked at her and I said, really? <laughs> well, that's the, the microphone doing that. It's not me. <laughs> and the software, Audacity. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad I got there. And I told you from the previous episode that I would talk to you about what I'm working on as an author. Uh, the Reese Books portion of K.R. Reese Enterprises. This is the Reese Podcasting Division of K.R. Reese Enterprises. It gives you an idea of what I'm doing. Uh, it's an umbrella company. And it's finally getting off the ground. I wrote down notes when I was in my 20s, literally in 1995, about a dream of having a company called Reese Corporation. Well, I can't do that. You can't use corporation unless you fork over a lot of money to get it registered with the actual word corporation in your name. So I had to settle on the word enterprises. And being a Reese, 
we we have leadership in our blood. We're born entrepreneurs. I don't mean to brag, but that's just the way it is. My dad worked for, for himself. Uh, my great-great-grandfather, I believe it's great-great, Casper Reese, the first of the Reeses to immigrate to America. You know, from my wing of the Reese name, you know, the Reeses are everywhere. You may not know it with our spelling, R-E-E-S. That name is everywhere. And there are entrepreneurs all over this country. <laughs> and trying to come up with a name for my little enterprise, uh, I came across Reese businesses everywhere. And that's just in this country. And I'm thinking, it really is in our blood to be on our own, to get our own business, to be an entrepreneur, to be leaders. We are born to lead. And that's why my daughter's got the entrepreneurial bug, as I said in the last episode. And that's what we're doing. It may have taken me 30 years to get here to realize that I need to get off my tail and start doing what I was thinking about all this, all those years ago. So here I am. Yeah, I still have my full-time job. and I'm not an idiot. I need to be able to pay the bills. <laughs> and they may find out that I'm doing this stuff on the side, but it is my time. And I still work full-time for them, even overtime, because they require some nighttime work and weekend work, and I do it. You know, and I've been doing IT for over 30 years, and it's become an old hat, but it's what I do. It's what pays the money. It, what's what, Not the money. It's what pays the bills. So I'm still here. But I am going to keep doing this as long as I can. Because I enjoy it. So what am I working on? Nonfiction, as I said, I don't know why I'm doing this, but yeah, I'm writing about the days that I was an athlete, and I never was a professional athlete. But all the years that I did play sports, and I played everything, part of the title is an all-around athlete. And I'm injecting as much humor as I can in this, and it's been quite a summer, as I said. Um, I didn't know I was ever going to take on a project like this, particularly to write about myself. And I've, I've witnessed a lot of tragedy, uh, a lot of unfortunate and very sad things have happened to our family. And those are hard to think about. My brother John and I were very close growing up, and as most of you know that know me, you know, my brother John is no longer with us. He's been gone for 13 years. And uh, to think about it, and think about all the times that we had, you know, we were 18 months apart. We both played all of these sports. We were both all-around athletes, particularly tennis. We were on the tennis team in high school, in junior high, <laughs> he had the distinction of being on the high school tennis team in eighth grade, and I one-upped him and joined the tennis team in seventh grade. I lettered in high school tennis in seventh grade. And so I, it finally dawned on me, probably by the grace of God, you know, I, this is not a religious podcast, but 
as I said, I'm Catholic, and we're called to spread the word of Jesus, and I do that when I when I feel that it's necessary, and it, it's undoubtedly because of God that in my faith that I'm here, that I'm sitting here in my my in my staircase closet. <laughs> And some of you might find my laugh off-putting, and I'm sorry about that, but I like to laugh at myself. And yeah, I'm writing about my, my upbringing. I'm writing about my siblings and a lot about John, and not just my family, people that I've encountered in the sports world. I've played a lot of sports uh, with a lot of different people and many characters. You know, when I think about it, these people would make great characters in a book, even though they're real people. You know, nonfiction can be quite interesting, even if you don't know the first thing about who's writing the book. Is that who the hell is this guy? But it's the story that grabs people and uh, the situations that you tell about it. And, and if they're true, and if you can put some humor into it, it just may work. I have no idea if I'm going to put this book out to the public. I'm very hesitant about it. But it's the biggest project I have bitten off. You know, most of my most of my fiction books average in the range of seventy to eighty thousand words, and you know that's a that's a short novel compared to most. But it is technically a novel. Legend Upon the Cane was a novella. But this book, this nonfiction. I'm a hundred pages in, forty thousand words, and I haven't I haven't begun to scratch the surface yet. But I'm having a ball with it. I you know, when I first started, I I was petrified, I was very intimidated, and the thought of thinking of things in the past just scared the hell out of me. And so it was a roller coaster of emotions. But now that I've gotten past that with a little prayer, St. Jude Thaddeus, his card sits on my desk that my dad gave me during my divorce, and the saint of the impossible has been dragging me through this process and is becoming possible. Now, if that's not God, I don't know what it is. So this book is going to morph into at least 150,000 words. I, I kid you not. So this is going to be a full-length project, and if I ever get through it and live through it, uh, it'll be a minor miracle. But I mentioned children's books also. I have a very talented illustrator that I work with up in Canada, and I need to say hi to her and give her some give her some love. She needs it. She needs the support. Her name is Emily Zareth, and she is the illustrator and wife to a, a very nice young young man named Thomas, and they live in Canada in Kingston, Ontario. And she is the illustrator for This Enchanted Old Ruin, and she did a fabulous job with that book. It was during the pandemic when we worked on that book, and she wasn't too pleased on what was going on and a little scared, and so I let it go. And it got put off on the back burner for quite a while, but eventually, with a little prodding, <laughs> she finished it. And she nailed all those characters in this enchanted old ruin. And it has been a minor success. It hasn't sold the number of copies that I was hoping, but it did become profitable. I was able to 
pay her back and start turning a profit on the book. So to me, that's a success. And I opened the door wide open, you know, to do sequels on that book. And so this summer, the summer of 23, as it keeps raging along in the drought that we're in here in Texas, I've come up with some pretty cool ideas and wrote uh, a rough draft to a sequel to This Enchanted Old Ruin Returns. And we both, I, I included her on the story part this time, you know, kept giving her copies and she would say, no, this still sucks. And <laughs> you need to do something with this scene and that scene. And I would rewrite it. And finally we decided on a, a draft. And so she has that in her hands and hopefully is working on the illustrations for that book. And then on July 4th, that I, once again, I spent by myself. It seems like my ex gets July 4th. She has a monopoly on it on every freaking summer. So to keep myself from going insane, that's why I'm writing so much. Because I need something to occupy my brain. You know, when my daughter's not around, it's not too fun. I miss her. Of course I do. And so that's why I do much. So I do so much writing. People ask me, how can you crank out a novel per year? Well, I have the time for one and the motivation. I love to tell stories and I need something to occupy my brain so I don't go insane. On July 4th, a, a story that I've been kicking around in my head as I check the clock real quick. Uh, I ride my bike every morning in my neighborhood, which we'll rename Nameless. And we have two nice little lakes. Well, I call them nice, but they're turning into trash holes, which I don't like. But uh, there is a trail that goes around these lakes, and I ride around it every morning. I will do so after I finish this show. And there's nice three little ducks there. I know them all by name, and they know me. <laughs> I think someone put there that put them there that used to be somebody's pets. But there's also a clock tower, a clock tower that greets people that come into our neighborhood. And right next to this clock tower that sits in the middle of a roundabout is a corner. It's a corner of, you know, two streets that intersect with this roundabout. And it's covered with cedar trees, you know, the namesake for my little suburb here. And uh, that corner, uh, in the summertime especially, is full of rabbits. And the grackles, if you've never been to Texas, that's the pretty most common bird in Texas other than a mockingbird, is a grackle. It's just a big black bird with a big fan tail on the male species of the bird and uh, makes quite a squawk. The first time you hear it, the first time I heard it when I came to Texas in the early 90s was, what the hell was that? And <laughs> it's a grackle, and they're everywhere. But I see these grackles on the ground. They're ground feeders, and the rabbits are down there, of course, and they co coexist. You know, they could care less if a grackle was five feet from them, you know, jumping around, and the bunnies just do their thing, you know, and they're all together. So while I'm riding my bike, I thought that's the corner of Grackle and Bunny. <laughs> and a children's, book, a children's book was born. 
I just didn't have a story. And I've been thinking about this idea for a couple of years now. And on July 4th of this summer, the summer of 23, <laughs> uh, a children's book was born. And it's called At the Corner of Grackle and Bunny. And I've told some people, the regulars that I see on the trail when I'm riding my bike, some of them know I'm a writer, and they said, what are you working on? And I told them about the children's book, and they said, oh, my gosh, you've got to do this with our clock tower, our trail. You're doing a children's book about bunnies and grackles. <laughs> I'm going, yes, we want to read it. So I even I already have people that want to read this thing, and it's going to be for younger kids. It's going to be much shorter than the Enchanted Ruin, Old Ruin series that I think it's going to be called the Enchanted Old Ruin series. But we'll see. When Emily gets done with the illustrations, we'll think about what the series is going to be called. But this is a standalone book, which I said is for younger kids. Enchanted Old Ruin is for kids maybe six, more likely seven years old, because it has a lot of words. And I'm encouraging kids to read more. And that's why they're good library books. But they're too long. The reason that book suffered is because the story is too long. And that was my fault. Emily's illustrations were fabulous. It wasn't the problem with the illustrations. That's the only reason it sold, is because they're so beautiful. But it's too many words. The sequel has about 2,000 less words in the story, but it's still kind of long. But that story, the sequel, is going to be hilarious, <laughs> to say the least. I think it is, and I think other people will too. But the story about the grackle and the bunny is going to be very sweet, very short, and uh, quite a lesson for kids. And uh, I hope it becomes a popular book. Uh, it has a it's not quite as loony. It's not loony at all. You know, it, it does have some charm to it, but it has a very sweet and sincere message about friendship. And uh, the grackle is, of course, black. And the bunnies around here are white and light brown. And to me, those two characters just themselves represent the entire human race. You know, we have white and brown people around the world, and then we have African-American, you know, people. Black and white and brown. There you go. They're all represented in a little bunny and a bird. And the story is about how these two young creatures, a grackle, uh, you know, like a, a, an adolescent grackle, and an adolescent, like a, a toddler bunny. You know, they're young, and they find each other. They begin playing with each other, and they be, you know become friends. They're at the corner of Grackle and Bunny. They become friends. Their friends begin to pick on them because they're associating with another creature that's not their color. And that's the gist of it. They get very upset when they get picked on and are forced, basically, to stop playing with each other to stop being friends and the bunny takes it very hard and uh, runs off by himself and it begins to rain that makes it worse I'm giving the whole story here but that's what to expect when this book comes out and guess who comes to save him his friend the grackle absolutely and they both agree that 
we don't care what our friends say on who we hang out with, no matter what color they are, no matter what background they come from. And that's, that's the genesis of that story. And I'm very excited that it's coming out. Emily, I know, is going to do a fabulous job on those characters, too. So what's going on around Austin? Well, current events. Yeah, we've got some fires going on here. I've heard about some houses that have been destroyed. Let's pray for those people that have lost their homes. And a lot of property is being scorched. The drought has probably reached in the 45 range of 100 plus degrees here. The record is more than likely safe from 2011. We reached 90 days that summer of 100 plus degree weather. But this one's a tough one. We're, we're having a tough drought and we need rain. So we need to pray for that too. The World Cup is going on in Australia and New Zealand for the women's national teams. And the American team, team is out. They are the defending champions and have been maybe two-time champions. I don't know. I don't keep up with women's soccer too much. I don't keep up with men's soccer too much. But I do pay attention to the World Cup. You know, it's every four years. And as everyone knows, our women's team is not without controversy. And uh, that's been a focal point as... Uh, the social dynamics and political spectrum in our country uh, has been evolving with certain factions that uh, some people will use the word woke. I don't like that term, but that seems to have stuck. And that title has been associated with our women's national soccer team. And I think it's become quite a distraction to them. Not not that it's their fault. Who knows on how these things start. I'm not going to point out any particular players. But they didn't look good this year in the World Cup. I didn't watch the full games. I read about the games. I watched the recordings. Because they're in the middle of the night when they played Sweden. I believe it was Sunday. It was 4 a.m. You know, I'm up, but I just forgot. I'm working. So I caught the highlights, but in the last two games that they played, they didn't score a goal at all. It was 0-0 in both games, and that's unlike any American team, even the men. So they had an off year and was not good. And when they went to penalty kicks with Sweden, uh, they missed three goals, and two of them were very lackluster, and one by one of their veteran players that will remain nameless. She did not make a good attempt on that penalty kick. And it's probably going to haunt her. I hope it doesn't. Because I know she's probably a good person inside and not the villain that she's been portrayed as in the, in the media. But they lost. But I can tell you, it wasn't just because the Americas look flat it was because the Swedes played their butts off, and in particular, their goalie. I forget how to pronounce her name. Musevic? Am I saying that right? She's an, She stole the show. <laughs> I don't know if she's had better games, but in the World Cup, she made a statement and 
probably had the game of her life, making outstanding, incredible saves. And the Americans made some awesome attempts on goal, and she blocked them all. So hats off to the Swedes for advancing to the Elite Eight, the, I believe that's the quarterfinals, and good luck with them. Good luck to them. If I can watch the games, I'll watch. You know, the World Cup is, is exciting. It's only four years, every four years. We have reached well past 30 minutes of this broadcast, and it looks like I've covered everything on my list. So that's all I have for this morning, uh, and I, I appreciate you sticking with me. If you're still listening, God bless you, <laughs> because I am trying to get this podcast off the ground and don't know where it's leading, but it's still fun for me to do, but I need to get up and stretch my legs. So we'll close. Thank you for listening, folks, and for Jet Bexer, who is forever trapped in 2095, I'm Keith R. Reese, bidding you good day. Bexer in the Morning is brought to you by our friends at Spotify. Hosted and produced by Keith R. Reese and a product of Reese Podcasting, a division of K.R. Reese Enterprises. With a music selection entitled Here is the News, written and composed by Jeff Lynn. Version provided by Music Score, courtesy and performed and arranged by Welsh artist Karen Mansfield. Thank you for listening.